You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review's senior editor, Daniel Horowitz. And along with co-host Joe Koss, they break down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering The Conservative Conscience. And welcome back, folks, to The Conservative Conscience. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz. Great to be back here. It's November 2nd. We're recording late on Wednesday. And look, we're six days out to this big election, which in some ways is really big. In some ways, it's not so big. Um, But it will probably be the last time we talk together before the election. I just see no purpose to speculating, arguing over polls. I, I never understood when you have these columnists and hosts that will sit and argue over something that you're going to find out about in a couple of days. I always like these things to kind of be self-contained. They speak to the issues of the time, the news of the day, but they're they're very evergreen, so to speak. And, you know, I want everyone to learn something new, some some of my observations and insights, and I really appreciate the feedback. So this will probably be the last one unless something earth-shattering really ticks me off, and then I'll come back before Tuesday. But um, I'm not going to get involved in this prediction stuff. I, I mean, I... I know what I feel strongly about, the issues, the path forward, what we need to be doing, Constitution, policy issues, uh, you know, horse race. It is what it is. Some of you will hear me on Steve Days tonight. We'll go through some of it. Bottom line, I still don't believe Trump's going to pull it out, despite the fact that the FBI scandal in conjunction with Trump actually keeping his mouth shut for a while, staying on message. It has changed the race due to ground a, a lack of trump ground game and the fact that you know the demographic time bomb is still there in so many of these states and because of early voting i just don't see it happening and by the way check out my post on why early voting is fundamentally unwise unfair and unconstitutional um this is again whether you like trump hate trump it's fundamentally unfair when something big comes out in middle of an election and a third of the people in Florida already voted. It, it, I, I went, I spent a lot of time going through the congressional record of the federal laws passed to set the election date pursuant to the constitution It's very clear to me. It is unconstitutional, but this is where the courts are. What's in the constitution. They take out what's out. They put in what's a state power. They make a federal power. What's a federal power. They make a state power. We, we've talked so much over the last couple of weeks about the courts, you know, um, Basically saying states can no longer control the methods and procedures of elections, whether it's verifying proof of citizenship, whether it's asking for photo ID, whether it's the number of polling stations and days of early voting. In fact, the courts say you have to have early voting. They say the federal civil rights law requires you to have it. And of course, Congress passed no such law. Now, they could step in. They could step in and take away the power from the states. The Constitution does give them that out, although it was really intended that that should only occur under extraordinary circumstances. Alexander Hamilton wrote that in the Federalist Papers. But nonetheless, Congress does have the power, but they haven't exercised it. But the one power that the feds have exercised, and they legitimately have, to set a uniform election day for federal offices somehow... The courts have thus far, there hasn't been a Supreme Court case directly on this, but the lower courts have upheld early voting 
30 days of early voting, early voting month. Ridiculous. Um, as I as I note, this this needs to be curtailed at the very least, and it, it needs to be ended with primaries. It's a very unfair and very just logistically insane with candidates dropping out and still you know collecting votes and just messing up primaries. So this is something that I think is an appropriate discussion, irrespective of what comes out. We got to clamp down on this early voting, and I'll just tell you purely politically, it's killing us. I mean, the Democrats get out their machine. They couldn't do it with one day, but they crack the code if they have 30 days in some states. Um, you know, the, the founders never envisioned this. So check out that article. And and speaking of the courts, this is one of the things I wanted to come back to. You know, it's a passion of mine. And ironically, in some ways, it's become the biggest issue of this election. It's funny. We don't vote for president anymore to vote for president. We vote for president because we're scared of the courts, as if there's nothing that we can do other than appoint a justice. And whoever appoints the justices controls the destiny of our nation, our culture, our society. And that's nonsense. As you guys know, I wrote my book, Stolen Sovereignty, with the hope and the assumption that we'd have at least a relatively conservative president, if not a guy like Ted Cruz. And my point was, don't dance in the end zone yet. Don't celebrate the courts will throw out every good thing you want to do on a federal and state level. It's going to be even worse when we're in power. It's bad enough when we're not in power. When we're in power, we'll only be playing defense in the courts. They have the ability to place an injunction on every single conservative policy initiative that's constitutionally sound. They have the ability to block it within days in the lower courts. So that's that's the deal here. That's why I wrote my book. I wrote it even under the assumption we have a Ted Cruz that appoints good judges. But as I noted many times, it doesn't make a difference. We've lost the courts ready. What I want to address is a dangerous mentality, a dangerous thought process, a dangerous and, and counterintuitive strategy that's being put forth. Regardless of who wins, particularly if Hillary wins, everyone's saying, you know what? Let's keep the Supreme Court deadlocked with eight justices instead of nine. Let's keep it at four to four. We're not going to give Hillary a Supreme Court nominee. We'll, we'll block that, that seat, if, assuming Republicans win control or retain control. And the more, you know, just horse race wise, the more I see it, the more um, it's pretty clear to me that Republicans will have at least 51 seats, no matter what happens at a presidential level. Because, you know, it looks like it will not be a blowout on the top of the ticket. So they'll have the Senate. All right, so they have the Senate. Well, Daniel, isn't it right? Ted Cruz is saying it. We should block all of Hillary's noms. I don't disagree with that, of course. What I disagree with is exclusively saying it's all about blocking the noms Ignoring the reality of the fact that the courts are already killing us, and particularly this talking point that the court is deadlocked four to four. No, it is not. Democrats, the far left, the decivilization crowd, they have at least a five to three majority, and it doesn't matter anyway because they have the lower courts for the next eight to 12 years based on who's on all the circuits, even if you have a Republican president. Now, it would take about eight to 12 years to, to flush that out. And like I've said many times, the precedent that most Republican appointees, even good ones, they abide by, it doesn't matter anyway. We need to also have a discussion over the role of the courts. 
you know, let me just say as a baseline, let's say we had a constitutional crisis and we do have a constitutional crisis, but let's say we had the following manifestation of a constitutional crisis. You know, the president, the executive branch, president controls the army, the military, the Navy, right? He controls where they're sent. He is a commander in chief. What if all of a sudden Congress just said, you know what? We're going to control the military. And Paul Ryan and Nancy Pelosi and, you know, Senate Majority Leader start just raising their own army and directing it all over the country, all, all over the world, doing their bidding. You'd say, holy heck, we, we got to stop this right away. You wouldn't say, man, you know, this is why this election is so important. We got to we got to make sure we elect a good uh, uh, House and Senate leadership so we can control where the army goes. No, you got to stop it. Stop, stop, stop. You, yeah, I mean, you can't tolerate that for a day. The president has to control that. You can't violate the system of governance we have. I, I've quoted to you many times, and I, I think it's worth saying again from Larry Kramer in his book. He was the former dean of the Princeton Law School. And he said, quote, neither the founding generation nor their children nor their children's children right on down to our grandparents' generation were so passive about their role as Republican citizens. They would not have accepted, did not accept, being told that a lawyerly elite had charge of the Constitution, and they would have been incredulous if told, as we are often told today, that the main reason to worry about who becomes president is that the winner will control judicial appointments. Something would have gone terribly wrong, they believed, if an unelected judiciary were given that kind of importance and deference. Perhaps such a country could still be called democratic, but would no longer be the kind of democracy Americans had fought and died and struggled to create. And that's what I want to talk about as we're going out to the polls to vote and we think everything depends on that. Irrespective of who wins, we already lost our constitutional republic. Irrespective of who wins, and, and whether you think voting for Trump will help, voting for Republicans will help, I'm not here to relitigate that. It's not worth it in this late hour at this point. We'll, we'll worry about it on the backside of Tuesday. But that that's all we have to do, that there's nothing more to talk about. Oh, how, how many seats are we getting? Uh, how many judicial appointments? It doesn't matter. The last 50 years has shown we, lo- we lose the fight, the policy battles anyway. And certainly on the courts, we will lose anyway. And that's what I want to point out. I, th- I am so offended by this notion that, oh my gosh, You know, the courts are so important. We're going to have to block. We're going to have to block. Here's what's going to happen. If you only do that, I'm not saying not to do it. You raise the specter of the importance of the judiciary way beyond what it really is. You you legitimize the erroneous premise that the courts are the sole and final arbiter of every social, political, constitutional issue. They could remake the Constitution, and there's nothing you can do about it other than appoint a good guy or, if there's a Democrat president, successfully block a bad guy. The problem is, as you guys well know, I don't have to tell you guys, you guys are educated, unlike the conservative uh, thumb-sucking politicians in Washington, you know that the court is not deadlocked 4-4. to That is so offensive. Have you not seen what Anthony Kennedy has been doing? They find these a few obscure cases that really don't matter civilization-wise where Kennedy is still with the other guys. So it's four to four. But as it relates to abortion, as it relates to religious liberty, as it relates to there's a transgender case coming right to the court that will be the Obergefell equivalent of transgenderism, 
a fundamental right for a guy with a penis to act like a woman and force a, tra- a state or a private entity to treat it, that individual as such. That is coming. Anthony Kennedy wrote it already. In Obergefell, he said a person has an unalienable right to, quote, express their identity. So there you go. I mean, it's there. They have a five to three majority. Even if you had a Republican president, Phil Scalia's seat, okay, it's 5-4. You block Hillary's seat you know, from appointing, so instead of 6-3, you have 5-3. They already have a 5-3 majority, you know, affirmative action, disparate impact. All this stuff, all the 14th Amendment stuff that's killing us, Anthony Kennedy's gone. That's number one, why they're wrong about the courts being deadlocked and you know, all we need to do is just block a bad guy from filling Scalia's seat. I mean, heck, Scalia himself, when he was alive and kicking and on the court, a lot of people ignore it. And it was one of his final speeches before he died. He said the court is more loony than ever before. This is with him on it. So even if you fill that seat with, you know, your favorite, even if you fill that seat with Ted Cruz, I mean, it wouldn't make a difference. They have five justices already. You would need another one to die or retire. And I can guarantee you if if Trump wins, they're not going to retire. That's for sure. You know, if they, and if they know Senate Republicans would block a Democrat, they wouldn't retire either, or at least wouldn't, you know, officially leave the court. Maybe they'd announce their retirement or their desire to retire. So that's number one. Number two, you guys know this from my writings, and um, no one else is talking about this. The lower courts matter. Part of what goes on here, a lot of people think the Supreme Court is destroying America, and I don't disagree, but it's it's a little bit inaccurate. The lower courts are destroying America. It's often, ironically, our guys that are in our organizations and allies that are appealing to the Supreme Court to overturn or place a temporary stay on a bad lower court decision. And the court usually is against us and upholds the garbage. So the point is, 99% of cases don't make it to the Supreme Court. They don't have the caseload. They don't grant certiorari. They don't... um, you know, issue a temporary stay and they don't decide the merits of the case. They don't take it up. So that's something that both Kennedy and Roberts, a lot of people don't realize. Roberts has been screwing with us by not so much the bad decisions aside from Obamacare. There was an immigration case, the Arizona law. There's, there are some notable cases people miss. He's not with us. And I'll get to a couple in a, in a, in a moment. But you have the lower courts that decide everything, and Roberts does not grant cert. Remember, you need four to take up a case five to win. So you often have Alito, when Scalia was alive, you had him and Thomas, and you wouldn't have that fourth vote. Forget about a fifth. So that means that both Roberts and Kennedy w- were allowing crazy lower court holdings to stand. And you know, Justice Thomas has called them out has called out Roberts on this. Scalia was on to Roberts' game. And um, you know, you had the Sturman case at the end of last term forcing a private pharmacy to cover 30 forms of birth control, even though tons of other stores sold it within 5, 10 miles in Seattle or just outside of Seattle, Washington. They allowed a lower court decision to stand. That's a big deal. So the lower courts are broken no matter what. It will take us years to get get rid of these guys, flush it out, have a new regime or enough new guys that um, can make a difference. And by the way, issues that are national in scope, the, the Democrats know where to go. They shop it around. They'll always have a, a circuit, 
a, a district and a circuit that will issue an injunction. So we can't get anything normal past a single circuit. We can't get photo ID past the Fifth Circuit, which is arguably the best circuit. So Roberts, what, what, what Roberts' shtick is this. If Roberts were the chief justice in 1920, I think we'd be fine predating all this garbage. But he views himself as a caretaker. He doesn't want to do things too potent in either direction. So he's not going to join new radical expansions of the 14th Amendment, new radical crazy ideas. But it doesn't matter because there's enough lower courts in Kennedy who will do it that they win anyway. But what he will do is he will not join with our guys to fundamentally overturn the bad precedent. He's made that clear. And that's why, you know, he's very political and he doesn't want to look like the Supreme Court's being a bully. Now, again, in an alternative universe in a different era, that's a good thing. But when you have every single circuit, picture the circuit courts. I know most people aren't familiar with the type of judges on them, but you all know from Elena Kagan, Sotomayor, Ginsburg, and Breyer, these type of guys. Picture the overwhelming majority of every circuit being composed of guys like Ruth Bader Ginsburg. That's what you have. So you better believe you need the Supreme Court to step in. They do not. And, and, and Clarence Thomas has really taken the unusual step in many cases I've seen writing a dissent from the denial of the granting cert, of granting the appeal. So let me just tie this back in. You have Kennedy, you have Roberts, you have the lower courts. You put that all together. Here's my concern. Our guys go and say, we're not giving Hillary Clinton any new um, judicial appointments, at least the Supreme Court. First of all, let me just tell you, it's not going to happen. You're always going to have at least 10 to 15 rhinos that aren't going to go along with you. Even if somehow you did, the amount of political capital you would have to expend, that's pretty. That's a pretty big deal. You have a new presidency. Obama, they were able to get away with, say, look, it's late in your term. Let this election decide. All right. Well, you said let the election decide. You, you guys lost. The Democrats won. Now what? So you have to expend a lot of political, political capital blocking it. Let's say they successfully do that, which they never will. You got what you wanted. You were obnoxious. You, I mean, this is what the media is going to say. You, you obstructed unprecedentedly. And then boom, one after another, a right to transgenderism, a fundamental right to 30 days of early voting, a right to vote without photo ID, a right for non-citizens to vote, a right for birthright citizenship to illegal aliens. This stuff is all coming before the court very soon. And Anthony Kennedy is already not with us on almost all these cases. And the lower courts are certainly not with us. And in many cases, Roberts won't even agree to take up the case. So I'm just telling you guys, th this is very dangerous. Instead, we need a movement. And this transcends elections to educate people and say, this is not the role of the courts. They do not have the power. They do not have the power to change natural law. They don't have the power to do stuff that state legislatures control. They don't have to have the power to federalize state issues and give over to state federal issues. You know, if I were Republicans, I'd say to Hillary, all right, you could have your nominee. But in return for signing legislation, taking away the power of judicial review, at least from the lower courts. Because as I explained before, what that would do is it would choke off the Supreme Court because they don't have the caseload. Um, to take, I mean, maybe they could screw over two, three states on a couple issues, but they can't, you know, it's kind of like a jailbreak. You can't get everyone. You know, it's the lower courts that are killing us. 
they have the ability to get an injunction within within minutes of of a law being enacted into in, in, into law. I mean, this this is the problem we have. So I'm just warning you guys, this will not change. I just I can't stand this notion. Oh, it's four to four. Like Anthony Kennedy did redefine the building block of all civilization. In case you haven't been paying attention, he did codify craziness of the 14th amendment with disparate impact but i digress you have richard burr the rhino running for senate re-election in uh um north carolina he says if hillary clinton becomes president i'm gonna do everything i can to make sure four years from now we still got an opening on the supreme court <laughs> again <laughs> our, our founders never envisioned that they would just sit back and it's all about blocking nominees or appointing no it's about congress asserting their will Congress could defund implementation of these orders. They could block federal marshals because, again, the marshals are run through the executive branch. So they could block the exe- – the, the judiciary has no police force. They're a joke. I mean there's nothing they can do, and the founders did it on purpose because they're unelected. They didn't want an unelected body having the – what Hamilton called force or will, power to purse or anything. You know, They were to be respected. They're primarily to interpret the law, not to do judicial review. But even if you believed in judicial review, it was in very minor circumstances when a law was manifestly against the Constitution as originally adopted, which applies to nothing going on now. Um, But even then, they weren't given the means of enforcing it. The executive branch has to enforce it. Congress could defund that. Congress could strip their jurisdiction. Obviously, that you would need Hillary to sign it. and, And states need to fight back. And, and depending on the outcome of, of Tuesday, we're going to revisit this. You know, so so we got we got the courts here, and everyone's right. The courts are the most important thing, but for the wrong reason. Not so that we win the appointments; it's so that we strip them down to size. And that that's something we need to fight. You know, going on. Moving on to Obamacare, that's another thing. I'm sure many of you, and please share with me your stories. I just wrote my article um, about our letter we got in the mail. $5,600 a year increase. So we already were paying about $5,000 more. Now we're going to pay about $10,000 more in premiums a year to get no coverage. And and the deductible is $13,000. I, I break it down, and it, it's a it's a pretty thorough piece. Please check it out. Put it up in the show notes. My wife turns to me, and it's funny, you know, my wife, uh, you know, certainly we, we share the same values, just as conservative as as me, um, but, you know, obviously doesn't follow everything. And, you know, she was kind of saying, you know, this stuff sounds very principled. A lot of stuff we talk about seems abstract. She's like, this really affects us. How do they do this? How, how could the government come in and, and socialize something and you have no option? I can't get a different plan. I can't call up Care First, Blue Cross, and say, what the heck? I want a different plan. No, there's nothing. How, how do they get away with this? My wife said, can't you sue them? <laughs> I was laughing. I was like, it's funny how you could sue them for do it for everything. You could sue for transgenderism, but you know, you can't sue when the government oversteps enumerated power. Um, we never get standing. But but anyway, what I was thinking after my wife told me that is a lot of people are gonna go to the polls and lazily think that everything is gonna depend on the choice for the top of the ticket. If you vote for Trump, we're all doing, we're all right. If you vote for Hillary, we're we're dying. That's not what it is. Hillary, you know, Hillary's miserable, but like I said, there's a tremendous opportunity. She is hated. More than we even thought, she's going to come in with 
very, very big problems. Obamacare is an albatross around their neck. This is something we could dis- utterly destroy the Democrat Party with single-handedly. This is not going away. People feel it. For the first time ever, they actually, your average person understands the problem with socialism. The die is not cast with the presidential election. There's another vote. And that's fighting on the issues. It makes it harder if you have a Democrat in charge, although Republicans aren't really much different. But the die is not cast. Don't just think that your vote is what matters. What matters more is you testifying at your state legislature. It's pretty easy to testify at most state legislatures on an issue. We're, we're going to talk about some more concrete ideas you know, ne- next week, depending on what happens. But I'm just telling you, we need to focus on the issues and understand the imperatives to act and the opportunities that we're going to have going forward, irrespective of who wins. We're winning on the issues in the hearts and minds of the, of the people, most of the major issues. I'm not saying we haven't lost the culture on a lot of things, but most of the major issues out there, they are not with the Democrats, and you're seeing that in the polling. I mean, that's why, despite everything, they can't, they can't close the deal, and, and they can't win Senate seats, even with the most lousy Republican candidates ever. But Obamacare is a teachable moment, and I guarantee you Republicans will not use it. They'll talk about it a little bit here and there to gain political points. The Chamber of Commerce and K Street has made it clear they will not get rid of that law. But you better believe that if, if we all rise up, we can make an issue toxic enough, we could force our will. And we're going we're gonna to discover ways of doing this. But the die is not cast. Well, what do you mean Hillary has to sign it into law? No, we could force a funding fight. And I know you'll say, well, we did that already with Obama. Hillary will be demonstrably more unpopular than Obama. I mean, she will come in. Look, we know Obama's corrupt as hell, but your average swing voter doesn't view him as corrupt. They're not happy with his policies, but it just that that has not stuck to him. That is that has stuck to Hillary. She's going to have major, major issues. So the point is, our republic does not rise or fall on one election alone on, on the top of the ticket. It rises or falls on based on our acquiescence or whether we will acquiesce to tyranny. We don't have to take this. We do not have to take this. We don't have to take the judiciary. We don't have to take Obamacare. We don't have to take the Islamic refugees. This is not this will not end Tuesday. And I promise you guys, as disgruntled as I get, and I know I've shared that with you as tired as I get, I will not give up thinking of new ways. I'm not going to be like these other guys in the conservative movement that wake up and, oh, what does 2018 look like? Where's 2020? How many seats do you think we'll gain? You know, especially if, if Hillary winds up winning, I will help start a new party. I will be a part of that. Whenever that takes shape, that is something we need to do. It's something we need to do anyway. But, you know, depending on what happens, the opportunity will come sooner, you know, if, if, if Hillary winds up winning. But, you know, we, we have major problems. Uh, just a couple more loose items. Michelle Bachman is campaigning for Bill Schuster, the rhino in Southwest Pennsylvania against Art Halverson, the guy we had on running as a Democrat. He's really a conservative Republican. And Schuster is tainting him as a liberal. This is why we can't win in this party elections, but we could still win, win issues. I believe one of the triumphs of the Tea Party that a lot of people forget 
is Obamacare. Now you'll say, well, what do you mean? It's still here. Republicans failed to get rid of it or even cut away at it. But the triumph was that unlike every other policy issue, that once a piece of legislation passes, you grumble about it for a couple of days, couple of weeks, and then it's over. We made it toxic. Even the nomenclature Obamacare was coined. We pinned the tail on the donkey. See, Democrats thought that this would go the way of every other policy issue where the liabilities would be spread out over time. They would be unapparent to the average person. And they'd be able to come in and blame it on the private sector and say, hey, we're going to subsidize this. We're going to come in with single payer. We made it that, no, people get it. They'll pin the tail on the donkey. They know exactly why their rates are going up. They know exactly why they're losing their pediatrician. And they know where it's coming from. We are winning on the issues. And that's the thing. We need to start our own movement, however it takes shape. And I I believe there is hope. And I believe, especially Hillary presidency, not saying at this point it's going to happen. I don't know. We'll find out. But especially Hillary presidency will provide us with, with an amazing opportunity to do so many things systemically that we wanted to do to rebel against this corrupt system. And again, when I say rebel, they are the ones engaging in nullification. They are the ones engaging in civil disobedience against our system of governance that we we adopted. To quote Clarence Thomas, he just gave a major speech at the Heritage Foundation. You know, the liberals talk a lot about stare decisis, the legal term for precedent. In other words, it means anti-constitutional precedent. So you have one Supreme Court that decides that a marriage is no longer a marriage, a man is a woman, illegal aliens have rights, you name it, in contravention to 200 years of case law in our constitution, our founding, our values, declaration, fundamental rights. But yet once one court does it, stare decisis. Clarence Thomas said, the only stare decisis is our constitution. And that's what we're going to continue abiding by, whoever wins. We're going to stay consistent here. That's our vote. And there's ways, especially with social media nowadays, there's a lot you can do. We could raise awareness and we can make it stick to Hillary and the Democrats and the Republicans for that matter. We're going to have many votes to come beyond Tuesday. And I'd be remiss to if I didn't mention one of the votes you could make. You could cast your ballot by supporting our sponsors, Patriot Mobile. Switch over your mobile provider to Patriot Mobile. Sign up PatriotMobile.com, promo code Daniel. Waive the activation fee for you. You'll get competitive rates, and they'll donate up to 5% of your funds to a conservative cause of your choice. Also, join the Target um, boycott. Uh, a, a friend of the show, so one, one of the listeners told me I was complaining about, my, my wife told me uh, Target diapers were great. You know, if you, if you don't want to go with the name, the name brands, and Walmart ones are just terrible. I hear Walgreens is great. One, one of our, one, a friend of uh, conservative conscience said, you moms out there, check out Walgreens diapers. That way you don't have to give your money to the transgender agenda. These are the type of cultural business battles that we can have states. Th- this is what we need to do. It's not over yet. But the one thing I'm committed to is whoever wins, we need to change our game. We can't keep doing the same stuff we're doing. We need to up the ante. Our, our cause is just. Our principles are righteous. These are the principles that we signed in terms of the legal contract establishing this country. That is the precedent that we have. We don't have to agree to a Supreme Court, to a lower court, controlling our destiny outside their bounds. We don't have to acquiesce to socialized medicine 
outside of the enumerated powers of federal government. We don't have to acquiesce to fundamental social transformation. We need to think bigger. We need to build a new movement. We'll see what happens next week. Either way, we pray for guidance. We pray going forward. I really appreciate the feedback. Please tweet me at rmconservative. Send me your thoughts and everything. I'm sure I forgot some stuff here, but we're about out of time. God bless. We'll circle back after the big event. Take care. This has been another episode of Conservative Conscience.